Good evening, everybody. I'm back. Song is my baker here on The Viewpoint. It's good to be back and certainly to have you, my loyal favorite listeners, always engaging back here. I have missed you, but I had to be away. Work is work. And sometimes from time to time, not all the time, it will mean that my other national duty and responsibilities get in the way of my being otherwise with you Mondays and Tuesdays, 20 hours until 2145 and because I've been away for so long, two shows, I have promised to hit and hit the ground running. Phineas sends his regards, as does Lesejo, this, the technical team outside the broadcast studio. And his moratorium is over. Please treat that as a joke. He has not been silenced in any way. It's just that our lives have been so busy that they haven't come across each other in nearly two years. Mr. Mark Haywood, editor of Maverick Citizen, human rights and social justice activist. Of course, he cut his teeth in the early days of our democratic dispensation, most prominently, but his work in justice, human justice and social everything is a lifelong legacy that we are so pleased to this evening host. Mark Haywood, good evening. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming back, and it's good to connect. Good evening, Sungeza, and it's lovely to speak to you again. And you're right. I think we haven't spoken since the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. So a lot has happened, and I guess a lot to reflect on. Certainly there is a lot to reflect on, and the topic of this evening's conversation, just to bring the listeners in, is economic policy and the socio-economic rights in the Southern African in the South African Constitution, I beg your pardon. Pretty much examining the years nineteen ninety-six to twenty twenty-one, twenty-five years. So in essence, you are looking at what the Constitution essentially in its life has done for socio-economic rights particularly through economic policy and related socio-economic rights, which are foundational in Chapter 2 of the Constitution. Do you just want to set the framework for this discussion then with your early comments? Yeah. Well, well Fungezo, um, I, I think you and I will both agree, you know, with a few days before the 2022 State of the Nation address, that South Africa is in a very dire situation, and it's particularly in a dire situation when it comes to the overwhelming majority of its population who are poor, uh, unemployed, insecure, very often hungry, uh, with kids going to schools that provide substandard education uh, and quite often accessing or not accessing at all mm. health care services that cannot meet their, their needs. And... I, I think this the situation I just described yeah. creates a vulnerability for our whole country. It's a threat to our democratic project, and it's a threat to our constitutional project. And, you know, the issue you've, you, you've said we should talk about tonight is an issue that I've spent a lot of time thinking about, and in fact have just published a long uh, article in a legal journal arguing that just as much as the Constitution uh, makes very strict requirements of politicians when it comes to matters of political governance, you know, we know, know that, that nobody is immune from the Constitution, be it the president or anybody else, uh, but it also makes uh, requirements when it comes to how we run our economy. And my argument is that 
the problem doesn't lie with the Constitution. It lies with the fact that for 25 years, our politicians have not done what the Constitution requires of them when it comes to uh, economic, far-going economic transformation that aims at equality and poverty uh, alleviation. So, you know, I'm almost trying to, and you're, you're a lawyer, so you'd understand this, but track a new path for for our courts and for advocacy, which says that far-reaching economic transformation is in fact a constitutional mandate rather than the, than the other way around. So I'll finish this introductory comment by giving you perhaps the most topical example. You know, one of the hot debates at the moment, uh, hottest debates at the moment, is whether we should be introducing a basic income grant. Uh, for all people who are unemployed between the ages of 18 and, and 59. And my, my response to that is the, the clear answer is yes, because the Constitution in Section 27 of the Constitution says that the state must ensure that everyone has access to social security and when they need it, social assistance. And I also argue that we do have the resources to make provisions like that, and that in fact, Songhezo, it will ultimately be far more costly financially not to ensure socioeconomic security for the poor of this country than to have to shell out uh, uh, significant billions of rands uh, to, to protect people from the worst uh, depredations of, 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 of poverty. I'm sorry to have responded yes, with sure. a mouthful, no, I appreciate but that. <laughs> I'll stop there. No, 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 that, that, that's a great conversation start, and it certainly has brought in more people, I would imagine, into the mix so that they might find from what you have said as a preface an entry point, and they are free to this to, to that's engage where you would have entered. So the conversation essentially is, and if I can just break it down into two main categories and a subcategory of the other category is, there is a constitutional mandate that is the basis of democratic South Africa, particularly as it pertains to socioeconomic rights, there being a lived experience that then becomes a section 10 of the constitution inherent dignity of every individual that they see themselves in the state and the rollout of the state's program through efficient use of state resources so there's an obligation from a socio-economic rights perspective that allows people access to healthcare, to education to social security water food and those things that allow us to be who we are people and Precisely. then there's an attendant responsibility to that, the second point that you addressed. And that's a story for another day, but certainly we can touch on it for now. The value of political leadership specifically, but leadership in general, but in this instance, political leadership, because those are the office bearers that the Constitution particularly makes reference to as being those who ought to ensure that this happens, the state, that is. So there's a responsibility from a political leadership perspective to confer or to ensure, not confer, to ensure constitutional obligations are met. And then in this regard, you then unpack, if you like, these constitutional obligations in the light of the circumstances that pertain now for the country, and that being, for instance, Social Security per Section 27 should include now a basic income grant for those who are outside the existing catchment spaces of social 
grants being the 0 to 18 years child support grant and yep. 60 plus old age pension or whatever it is called for those in between there, the working class, if you like, or those who should be in employment otherwise, plus 18 up to and including 59 years. That's the conversation, folks. I thought I should just take a little bit of time to ensure that we at least find each other there. Enter where you think it is appropriate to engage our guest, Mr. Mark Haywood. I needn't say he was the long-term serving executive director at Section 27, but he can't help himself. Of all the sections that speak to socioeconomic <laughs> rights, he talks about Section 27 because that's where he cut his teeth, certainly in the democratic dispensation. So let us engage him on that. I propose we take a short ad break now, but I'm going to pose this question just to give you something to think about. And perhaps you might indulge me here, Mark. I'm going to be controversial because I do want to engage you precisely yeah. on that issue of basic income grant. Is South Africa, and you posit that it has the capacity and the resources to do so, if I said it does not, and I say purely on the basis that the same people cannot be expected to keep paying more for a number, this is now in relation to social grants for 19 and 59-year-olds and everyone in between, for a number in terms of heads that will not get less, that can only increase, And yeah. an amount that can only increase. You're not going to be paying 20 rand social grants this year and 10 rand the following year and 5 rand the following year. It's 20, yeah. 30, 40. So, and, and we are certainly from an economic development perspective showing all the signs of an economy that is not growing. So in other words, there are so many people who are expected with this introduction or this item that you're putting on the table to shell out more than they already have. Final comment, social security does not have to per se be money. It can take place in many forms, and it, money is but one aspect of social security. Think about those. That is going to be your response immediately after the ad break, at which point I'm now engaging callers so that immediately after your response, we can get them on the line. It's the viewpoint. On SAFM. Yeah, this is me live on air. Mark Haywood, my guest, talking about economic policy and the socioeconomic rights in South African Constitution, 96 to 2021. This is, of course, following the 25 years that the Constitution has been in force from 4 Feb 20, 1997, that is. Why don't they talk to each other? In other words, the disparity between economic policy and the lived experience that is the promise predicated largely on Chapter 2 of the Bill of Rights of our Constitution, the things you are entitled to and which in some instances are the responsibility of the state to ensure progressively that it realizes. But it is quite clear there are massive disparities between what you should get and what in fact you get of the things Mark speaks to now as a way to bridge this gap, so to speak, is the introduction of a basic income grant. I've quizzed him on that. I'm taking your calls on that. But for now, let's get Mark's response. Well, Sangeza, before the break, you, you, you raised big uh, questions. Um, and your questions show exactly why it is important for economists to engage with the Constitution and for constitutionists and lawyers to engage with economists and to try to find each other. Now, you said, and this is a tired and often heard argument against laying out more money for Social Security, that you can't continue increasing the taxes on a smaller and smaller number of taxpayers in order to meet 
a growing and ever-growing need. Now, let me respond to that in a couple of ways. First of all, I point out to you that, you know, 40 years ago, all over the world, and this was the basis for the world's economic recovery after the Second World War, tax rates uh, on the on highest income uh, earners, the norm was in the region of 70 or 80 percent in most countries. And those economies flourished and grew. And because that was the tax rate, because that was the norm, it was possible to fund public health care services and public education. But it also, and this is the second point to make, Songhezo, mm. if you provide something like a basic income grant, it's not just throwing money away. It is making it possible for millions of people to enter into the economy because they are able to purchase, because they are able to have enough money to begin productive, to seek productive economic activity. They pay taxes. They buy goods. That stimulates the economy. It, it, it leads to what is called a multiplier effect. And our economy, with or without a basic income grant at the moment, is in a complete impasse. It is completely stagnant. And so, ironically, paradoxically, my belief is that a basic income grant, even if it were to cost us 100 billion rand a year, might in fact be a way out of an economic impasse for the very big capitalists, the very high earners who are complaining at this moment in time of being overtaxed. Let me make one more point bluntly, Songhezo, and it's mm -hmm. so obvious if you look around our country. One of the sad omissions since 1994 is that there has been very little reparation when it comes to inequalities in wealth. Wealth is largely still in the hands of white people and very, very few black people outside of a new middle class have any wealth at all. And therefore, if you have no wealth at all, it's very difficult to begin to create wealth incrementally. And so we have to take drastic measures, even if it seems like apartheid is quarter of a century away ago, to, to, to try to to remedy this historical uh, uh, legacy. And if we don't do this, then what we will see, and, and, and this was warned this evening, this very evening, when the expert panel on the July uprising was released, its report was released by President Ramaphosa, is a society that at any moment in time yeah. can explode. Absolutely. Because levels of poverty are intolerable for too many people. Yes, I, I accept what you say. Here is where I have a distinct difference of opinion. Yeah. It isn't necessarily the correct one. And it probably, and I might even yield to say this, you probably know better on this because you've released an entire article published in the Constitutional Court Review. So I yield that your judgment is better than mine. At some point still, people like me need to be convinced if this is to succeed. And these are my inherent misgivings with the proposal of a basic income grant for those outside the existing frameworks of the BIG. And that is this. This is a symptom of failures. Yeah. More than it is failures. What are the failures? The failures are from 
the union buildings, to the legislature in Cape Town, and to some extent to the political parties themselves who have yes. not been able to arrange themselves at a party political level in a multi-party democracy in Cape Town in the national legislature and by necessary implication and extension in the provincial legislatures and in national policy that aligns such that, for instance, there isn't room for us, especially because of our problems, for us to be talking about a lack of leadership in an environment that requires only the best leadership that any society ought to provide for the kinds of problems the South African society has. Two, especially coming from the pain and the trauma that apartheid and colonization before was and the structures and vestiges of apartheid that still persist to this day, you cannot afford and an environment that, among other things, speaks of an Auditor General telling the country billions year after year consistently at MFMA level municipalities or PFMA level national departments and those companies like your ESCOMs are just wasting money and moreover attended to that there isn't any consequence management. If we could ensure public funds do the work that public funds are ought to do, it would, I put it to you, relegate this conversation of a basic income grant further down the line because you have now released these tens, if not hundreds of billions of rands into the national fiscus, which are then going to do the work that one proposes will be done ultimately by the BIG. And I say that because Section 27 doesn't say Songhezo must be given money, but rather Songhezo must be in a position to enjoy the dignity of going to a public hospital and not waiting yeah. for a week to have an operation that otherwise in the private sector would be treated as trauma and as soon as he or she enters that space would be attended to. There would not be a case for a Michael Komapa who goes to a toilet and never returns because it's a pit latrine somewhere in Limbobo. If that could happen and yet we could still come to the conclusion that we have done our best with what we have. There are these shortcomings. The BIG is an option that we ought to seriously look into. It's a different conversation, certainly for me. What do you say for those who might mirror <laughs> and reflect that thinking that I have? Because we can't necessarily talk about the fact that socioeconomic rights are not being realized without engaging the reasons why. And the reasons are we don't have the leaders. Well, Songhezo, I mean, I agree. I agree with everything that you've you've said. You said you disagreed with me, but there's nothing that I I disagree with in what you've just said. And let me make this this clear in response to you. You know, you and I are talking about a basic income grant because it's topical and it's urgent at this moment in time. It's urgent partly because of the levels of poverty and hunger in our country. Absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a fact that there are 12 million people in this country who have a monthly income that is below the food poverty line of 595 rand per month. Now, And even that, that is nothing. I accept. Then that is nothing. And if the Constitution doesn't kick in to protect people in such dire circumstances, then the Constitution isn't worth the paper that, 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 that it's written on. Mm. But... but but for me, as you're correctly saying, a basic income grant isn't a panacea. It's one amongst a host of measures that are in the power of our government. And this is where it goes to the leadership issues that you are raising to influence and to have a direct impact on. Let me put a figure to something that you just told the listeners sure. a, minute ago, a minute ago. Yes. The amount of money unaccounted for 
in irregular expenditure, declared irregular expenditure by the Auditor General over the last few years, is 488 billion rand. Imagine. Imagine. That's plenty to pay for a basic income grant for several years. It's plenty to pay for fixing schools, for fixing hospitals, etc., etc. So there's issues of good governance, proper management, capable state, etc. Mm-hmm. But Fungeza, and I'm sure you've read the article that I, that I sent you, the state also has powers in a whole number of other areas to direct economic policy, and you work in the field of competition law, in the interests of socioeconomic development and poor people. So, Public you know, in my early absolutely. days... My, Absolutely. In my early days as an activist, we did a lot of work to force the state to intervene in markets for medicines to make medicines affordable. The state affordable has the power medicines, to, yeah. to affordable medicines. The state has the power and the responsibility to intervene in food markets to make sure that essential nutritious foods are not set at prices that enormous profits are made from 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 pick and pay and and ShopRite and Woolworths and all of these these companies. Now, if the state did everything that it is, is, is required to do, not just empowered to do, but legally required to do in terms of the Constitution, it would make a whole raft of things more accessible and more affordable for ordinary people, thereby saving money for ordinary people, saving money for the state, making it possible to invest state resources in infrastructure that will grow economy, et cetera, et cetera. But the problem is none of our thinking, none of our economic planning, none of the rationales that we have given for economic policymaking over the last 25 years has started or been predicated on the fact that our constitution says that South Africa is a country which has social justice and equality at the heart of all objectives of governance. Mm. That's the core. And if we worked according to that core, we would be a far better country and a far safer and a far more secure and a far less hungry country than we are now. We agree, I think, on most parts because certainly our hearts are in the same place and our departure points are relatively the same. It might just be perhaps the language that might just need to be toned down between ourselves even. I accept what you're saying, but okay, let's, for expediency's sake, just suspend any conversation to do with the basic income grant. Yep. South Africa has what it needs to meet its needs. Yes? Yes. By and large. Yes. But now we've got to talk about this thing which is playing itself out in every public platform, in every matter of public interest or or public affairs that requires a sense of direction where it should be apparent, where even the minister or MEC or premier, even the president speaks. It should be born and inherent in them as we look at them. This is leadership. And the paucity thereof is not just part of the problem. It's, It's a genuine issue that now, as you suggest, reduces the constitution to nothing more than paper because you've got a policy that might exist that is not understood by the officers or the officials. Therefore, if you can't understand something, you will not be able to implement it. If you can't implement something, there are no results to show. You can't monitor any progress or evaluate the progress or lack thereof. 
and it becomes that much more difficult to manage consequences that otherwise ought to be managed. That's why we've got half a trillion in unaccounted funds and hardly anything in the way of consequence management that tells society this is being attended to. Have we yeah. reached a time where we either engage the multi-party system in this country and engage the question of electoral reform so as to get the candidates yeah. who now are representing constituencies into the framework? Or, and or, is this also a good time to start engaging the obligations per Section 7, application of the Constitution, of non-state actors, but mm. differently said, private money. You talked about reparations earlier on. How can we get the private sector to honor its obligations in line with the development state that we are to achieve what is desired by the Constitution, more and more anyway, the sense of dignity and equalities that release these freedoms? Well, again, really important questions, and, and, and you, you raise a number of questions. You know, let, let me just deal with the private sector first. I feel like the private sector in South Africa has played a very disappointing, to put it mildly, role. Put to put it mildly, uh, role in our in our country. It wields vast resources. It wields expertise. It has shown very little vision or commitment to the society around it. Uh, and I think it needs to start taking risks because, again, you know, if our country burns, the private sector will burn with it. The, the rioting in July last year cost 130 billion rand. You know, many private companies may have been insured, not all by any stretch of the imagination. But even if insurance paid out, it will put up the price of insurance. It will put put up the the cost of borrowing capital. So. So the private sector is in this boat with all of us, and I would appeal to it to play to, 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 to play a much more committed role when it comes to, to 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 equality and social justice and security in our country. Your question about the politics of the country, I'd answer in two ways. One is I would say that there's a responsibility on you and me and the people who are listening to this conversation tonight mm. to do much, much more to understand government, to work with government in certain instances, and to make sure that whatever political color a politician is, whatever party a politician is, they act in the public interest. The days when ordinary people can stand back from politics and trust politicians that they'll do the right thing are long gone. Last we week's case in point, right? Last week's <laughs> case in point, exactly. We, we have to, I mean, I don't think there's a better system than, than democracy, than electing governments and putting people into power. But once we put them into power, we have to watch them very, very carefully and make sure that they act in, in, in the public uh, uh, interest. Desmond Tutu said the price for freedom is eternal vigilance. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the last thing I'd say, Songhezo, is, you know, one thing I don't think that South Africa is short of is, is, is leadership. The problem is there just isn't enough leadership in, in political parties and government. Um, in my 
work on a day-to-day basis, working with communities, you know, working with churches, working in the media, working in the arts sector. I see fabulous leaders all of the time. And in fact, I heard Tuli Madon Fela saying at the time that Archbishop Desmond Tutu died, somebody said to her, is that the last of, you know, this generation of great leaders? And Tuli said, no, there are great leaders all around us in our society. There are Mm. people with ideas and people with solutions. The problem is that at the moment, the political system and the economic system is not allowing those people to to implement their ideas and their solutions. We're going to take some calls. That's a good point at which to end it for now. 2041, Mr. Mark Haywood, editor of Maverick Citizen, and of course we know him as a social justice activist par excellence. We're talking about economic policy, left hand, and socioeconomic rights in the South African Constitution. On the other hand, and why these two don't talk to each other, because we have the facts and statistics and the national edifice that presents itself in the growing poverty that we can all relate to one way or the other. The time is 2041. After the ad break, we're going to Scully in Durban and Mpoa in Mobani District in Limbobo. I have possibly another space for one more call. Please do call Johannesburg 714-2006. Songa Zomabekwe on The Viewpoint. Mark Haywood after the break. FM leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. In an omnibus of contributions from the listeners, we're going to take a couple of calls. We're going to go to voice notes. A shout out to Jeremiah Glass, Ubuntu, Gatomavela, Comrade Mike Jaska, George Makosa as well, all confirming that they are tuning in to SAFM. Ms. Kanya Sosibo asking a very important question, which perhaps I should have asked earlier on. Mark, simply, it is about the fact that the basic income grant, should it not at a minimum attend some form of responsibility on the part of the recipient? Surely they can offer their time or their skills where society needs such time and skills as a transaction or an exchange so that the dignity of the state is not impaired and more importantly the dignity of the grant recipient not impaired. Nobody inherently, and this is the point that Mr. Sibo raises, wants to receive a grant and no more. They want to earn it. So how do we address that question which currently doesn't exist? Make a note of that. That will be one of your responses. Let's go to Scully, our first caller, after which we go to Mpo in Mopani District. Scully, good evening. Uh, I'm being honored by you by telling Mark Haywood good evening to you, sir. Good evening. Yeah. And and you heard it or what 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 Haywood said. It is complete uh, electoral change and, and the basic income grant is a must must you know, from 18 to 59. We're supposed to be the richest, the fifth richest in the world, in minerals and so on, yet we are one of the poorest. Our crime rate should be attended to, and, you know, 
everything else will get good with it. Certainly. Uh, thank you. Have a good show. Thank you very much, Scully. Much thank appreciate you. that. I think our mineral wealth should aid, if you like, the BIG and the fact that this ticking time bomb to which you made reference to, and we were given a sneak peek of what it might look like in July last year, is exactly a response to these conditions that are not being attended to. Thank you so much for keeping us honest, Scully. Mpo, Mopani District, good evening. Good evening, Sangeso, and your SAFM listeners. Mm. Perhaps my parting shot should be premised on the study that was uh, conducted by um, um, uh, Economic, in- Economic Institute uh, Justice that outlined how the feasibility, or rather, how can we afford the universal basic income grant? Uh, so if you were to consider that um, the municipalities, in terms of the AG's report, loses about 121 billion rands in terms of wasteful and um, irregular expenditure. And you look at the category that outlined about 80% of about 18 years to 29 years unemployed, not receiving any sort of an income. You will think, you will look that we, I mean, the, the institute proposes that if we pay about 585 rent per month per person, it will cost the fiscal around 239 billion rent. And when you look at the cost plus um, expenditure that the likes of your ESCOM, all the SODs that are incurring a year, just focus on the ESCOM's balance sheet. You will look at about $21 billion in terms of losses, in, in terms of a revenue. And you will see that, in fact, South African economy, in order to address the triple challenges of poverty, inequality, and unemployment, where we are sitting with 77.5% of our youth that are unemployed, we can basically afford to pay the basic income grant. But over above, final comment, please. Final comment, please. If we expand it and we think about that, our inflation rate is cost pushed on a basis that we are not creating an economy that creates jobs. We are pushing the price above the inflation rate on the basis that the suppliers of the goods and services they are trying to maximize their profit, their profit on the basis that they are limited consumers with this disposable income. One will think, or rather to come to a point that, indeed, in order to revive this economy, we need to start uh, injecting basic income uh, uh, grant, knowing very well that this amount of money that we are putting in... Paul, I have to move uh, on. I'm sorry, there's just been too much time consumed, but I think Mark has got the gist of what it is that is your contribution. Let's go to voice notes, please. Three. Yes, uh, this basic income grant is not feasible because you you continue to tax the same number of people, which is, which is dwindling, and uh, you are you, you for the benefit of a growing number and which is increasing as well year after year the the, the, the grand payouts should increase at least by inflation so you can see it's recipe for disaster at some point something will give mike 
Hi, Songezo and the team. So it's Baldi from Cape Town. I want to begin by saying that food security is very important. One of the biggest problem is that we are paying equivalent to what first world countries pay, but we earn 10 times less. In many instances, we even pay more than what they pay even though we export to them. So there's a huge scam taking place in this country where people are paying money for food that they should not at all. Let's begin there. Good evening, uh, Songeso and Mark. Uh, yeah, it's great to have an economy that has some sort of social security net, but the fact of the matter is the money's got to come from somewhere. Uh, unless somebody's going to find the, the famous money tree that grows money, we need an economy that's growing. And an economy that's going to grow has to be based on simple market forces, a capitalist economy, economy that is knows that once you create and and drive and build something, expropriation without compensation is not going to remove it, and that we don't have unions telling you how to run your business, and that we are not taxed into oblivion. It's really quite simple, but until such time as we have that, we're never going to have the money, and any conversation around it is a fun conversation, but it's not a real conversation. Mike Newlands. Mark, you've got your work cut out in these responses that are coming through. I'll give you an extra two minutes, so let's take the ad break now, and then you can just get, gather your thoughts in the final reply after the news, I mean, after Thank this you. very short break. Mark Haywood, everybody. Economic policy, socioeconomic rights, the disparity, and the solutions after this. on SAFM. How do we address the ticking time bomb that South Africa is? What we saw in July last year is but potentially a picnic of what may yet come if the growing poverty, destitution and sense of directionlessness continues on the trajectory that it is currently on. There are some legal interventions that are required as there are economic interventions that are required. Oftentimes it's the legal not speaking to the economic people and the opposite is true. In an attempt then to stave off what is the currency, Mark Haywood has penned a beautiful item that is available on the Constitutional Court Review, but he's giving us his highlights as to ultimately how we can move in the right direction by addressing South Africa's socio-economic concerns. Mark, the listeners have engaged you and you want to engage them now. Yeah, first of all, thank you very much to, to the listeners. It's a great set of inputs and, and contributions and wonderful discussions on Gaza. And I wish we had until midnight to thrash these issues out and persuade each other uh, so that we can start to build consensus on these really questions that are, are critical to all of our uh, futures. We can have coffee um, tomorrow, Mark. We owe each other that. Let's. <laughs> to, to be continued. But, but let me just deal with them in, in, mm. in very, very briefly. Mm. So, Ngezo, as I said, we've talked about the basic income grant. It is but one measure amongst many that are possible for us to change the economic and social trajectory of this country for the better. We haven't had enough time to talk about other measures. I am arguing, though, that when it comes to a basic income grant, it is not a policy choice. It is a policy duty. That, that it is a policy positive legal obligation, given what our country faces in terms of hunger, in terms of unemployment, yeah. in terms of millions and millions of people who have nothing at all, 
to do it. Now, you know, Mike says, we, and, and one of the other listeners, we have to keep growing the economy. But that has been the argument from when the cows didn't come home. The economy isn't growing, and it isn't not growing because of a basic income grant. It is not growing for deeper structural reasons. Ironically, I would like to persuade Mike that a basic income grant might in fact be something that nudges economy and creates employment and creates possibility. Now, just a couple of the other things that were said. You know, your one speaker, and Paul, I think it was, we're talking basic income grant. This is not the first discussion between you and me. Mm. This has been debated and researched for 25 years. There is extensive, academically sound, peer-reviewed research showing how it could be done, where the money could be found, that it is affordable, etc., etc. Et, et so, so, you know, readers, the, 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 the listener mentioned the Institute for Economic Justice, who've done some of the research. At the end of last year, the Department of Social Development released a report with the support of the International Labour Organization that made proposals from experts saying it can be done and it, and it must be done. The research is all out there. And I think the last thing, that, two last things, sorry, that came yeah. up. The, 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 the listener who spoke about food security raises a very important point. Uh, uh, economic policy around food is, is, is critical. Not only is food unduly expensive, we throw away, I've forgotten the exact num- number, but millions and millions of tons of good food a year because of system and market failures in, in, in the system. You know about that, Sangeza, yeah, from yeah, the Competition true. Commission, from its retail mar- uh, food market inquiry. That's an, that's an important issue. And the last question, the first question was raised, uh, perhaps one of the most important questions is nobody who is unemployed or poor wants something for nothing. People want dignity, most of all. And so the suggestion that maybe a basic income grant be accompanied by a responsibility to do a certain amount of public work, community work, I don't think people who are unemployed and would benefit would reject that. All the people I know want to make this country work uh, and work for, for all people. So that certainly should be part of the mix as, as we think about this thing. And let me just conclude by saying this on Gezo. Mm. We've had a lovely discussion but but we don't have time to have these to 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 talk forever the country is in a very agile and dangerous place and we have to do something differently soon if we are going to prevent our country from falling into a very very dangerous place Abyss provoked is by the word, yeah it, provoked by the, the, the crisis that faces so many of our brothers and sisters in this country, many of whom will be listening tonight to our living in conditions which really are intolerable and unbearable and most of all unnecessary and unlawful. Quick question. Yeah. On present facts, would you say it is a new dawn or has dusk long beset us? <laughs> <laughs> we're in. Uh, 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 we're in. Uh, <laughs> it's both, Songhezo. 
the dust has long beset us. State capture is by no means over. Corruption is still endemic in our, in, in our government. But we have many opportunities. The, the Zondo Commission report has given us opportunities. There's greater openness. There's greater transparency in certain respects. But critical parts, critical interventions are missing. You know, transparency without action, without attention to the issues we've been dealing. People can't eat transparency. People can't eat talk about anti-corruption. They, we need to find solutions to these questions that uh, have occupied our conversation this evening. And so, it's been a so brilliant don't one. give up hope. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad I've enjoyed it as, as well. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Much appreciated. Mr. Mark Haywood, editor of Maverick Citizen, human rights and social justice activist. And my words are par excellence. And the time perhaps is now for us to go to news with Modubi. Final comment, though, David Thompson on Twitter at Songazomabekwa says, open quote, hasn't the official opposition been in favor of the basic income grant for some years now? It's an old debate. He then goes on to say it's an imperative now, in his opinion, close quote. Well, we do appreciate the listeners for engaging as thoroughly and as deeply as they have. This one hour certainly has felt.